ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look this morning at verse 45, 44 through 46. We're beginning our study this morning of the imperatives of Christ, the commands of Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple? Look at the the definition and exactly what are uh, the commands of Jesus. Uh, There are actually over 300 some commands of Jesus. Uh, So it's quite a bit. Uh, But the study that we're looking at is uh, categorizing them into distinctives looking at ten distinctives that seem to capture the, the commands of Jesus, and then three areas of those. And this begins our first one as we look at the area of giving up. A follower of Jesus must give up. And the focus for this week, or the distinctive, is surrendering. There has to be a surrendering that takes place. One of the thoughts that come to my mind is, the military surrender, when I use that terminology. Some of you remember the distinct day of September 2nd, 1945. It is the day that uh, Japan surrendered to the United States and the Allies. It had, for two years, gone through a succession of defeats especially in the Pacific Ocean. And then in August, major moments occurred in Japan. They were already no longer able to, uh, to perform as a country and capable of acting because of the infrastructure that had been uh, uh, dealt to them, the devastation that had been dealt to them. And then on August 6, 1945, The United States drops the atomic bomb on the city of Hiroshima. Late in the evening of August 8, the Soviet Union declares war on Japan in agreement with an earlier agreement with the Allies and in contradiction to an agreement they had with Japan of neutrality. And then, soon after, after that, there is again the second atomic bomb on the city of Nagasaki. With these three devastating blows, the emperor, Hiroshima, realizes that there must be a change that takes place. And so, on the USS Missouri, there is the signing of surrender. There had been an agreement earlier of a terms of surrender that the Allies had put toward Japan, the Potsdam Declaration. Let me read to you some of what was brought into this, defining what indeed was unconditional in surrender. The elimination for all time of the authority influence of those who deceived and misled the people of Japan into barking on world conquest. The occupation of points in Japanese territory to be designated by the Allies. Japanese sovereignty shall be limited to certain islands, of which I cannot pronounce. 
As we've been announced, the Cairo Declaration in 1943, Japan was to be reduced to her pre-1894 territory and stripped of her pre-war empire, including Korea and Taiwan, as well as her recent conquests. The Japanese military forces, after being completely disarmed, shall be permitted to return to their homes with the opportunity to lead peaceful and productive lives. Stern justice shall be meted out to all war war criminals, including those who have visited cruelties upon our prisoners. We do not intend that the Japanese shall be enslaved as a race or destroyed as a nation. The Japanese government shall remove all obstacles to the revival and strengthening of democratic tendencies among the Japanese people. Freedom of speech, of religion, of thought, as well as respect for the fundamental human rights shall be established. Japanese shall be permitted to maintain such industries as well as sustain their economy and permit the exaction of just reparations in kind. It goes on. Talking about the occupying forces of allies shall be withdrawn from Japan as soon as these objectives have been accomplished. And there has been established, in accordance with the freely expressed will of the Japanese people, a peaceful inclination and responsible government. And then at the end of the declaration, we call upon the government of Japan to proclaim now the unconditional surrender of all Japanese armed forces and to provide proper and adequate assurances of their good faith in such action. The alternative for Japan is prompt and utter destruction. (laughs) With those conditions, the emperor agreed, but not without some struggle, a coup even to try to be taken place, not agreeing with the emperor at this point. But eventually the forces did prevail. The signing took place. The state of war actually ended in 1952. Though the surrender was done in 1945, uh, the state of war later on, April 28, 1952, was, uh, was uh, ended. But then, even still, there were Japanese hideouts on the Pacific Islands who refused to surrender, believing that this declaration was some kind of propaganda and against their code. In fact, the last known hideout emerged from the hidden retreat in Indonesia in December 1974. In fact, he died just recently. However, there were other two other Japanese soldiers who joined communist guerrillas at the end of the war and fought in southern Thailand until 1991. Can you imagine? Almost 50 years of a state of war in which there was no war. I don't know what images come to your mind when you hear the word surrender. For Japanese, maybe it's a little bitter. For us, in America... It was a wonderful thing. And as you look at the terms, you see many good things that actually did come of the Japanese surrender. When Jesus brings to us surrender, I want us to understand that what Jesus is giving to us is life. And that that last line of this surrender term says he's asking for unconditional surrender. And the alternative is utter destruction. It's kind of terms that Jesus has given to us. And so I want us to understand what this means as we look specifically at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, that there is such a thing as a joyful surrender. And so of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together.
kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You may be seated. I think about this passage anytime I see someone with one of those metal detectors. You know? And I always wonder, what do they ever find? Do they ever find that pearl of great price? They find that gold coin. You know, there must be some motivation because they do it. And they keep on doing it. Anytime you go out to the beach, you're going to find someone doing it, looking for a wedding ring or something uh, that, that's been lost there. But in Jesus' day and time, it's actually not unheard of. Because they didn't have banks, they didn't have things to put their, their investments, their gold, their, uh, their, their values in. And so one of the things they would tend to do is they would bury it in a field. And hide it, especially when they, a raiding party would come, one of the things they would often do is they would place it somewhere hidden where they would know with the hopes that once the raid was over, once the house was destroyed, that they would not have discovered all. And they would come back. The only problem with that is that when raids come, Sometimes you lose your life. And therefore, the only one who knew where the treasure was, uh, that secret died with them. And so it, it could very well be that things like this uh, could have happened in Jesus' day. And Jesus was talking about one such occurrence where someone discovers this, this treasure hidden or a pearl, which was of much more value then than they are today. But there was merchants looking for these things, and they found this great pearl. And what do they do with it? And he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. I want you to understand something, that what we're talking about here in surrendering is not the same as receiving Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that we are saved by nothing but the grace of God, which means that it is just sheer God wants to save you that saves us. Our realization of that. And so from that point on, it, it then changes who we are. So as Billy Graham has said, that salvation is free. But discipleship costs everything we have. Chances are, when you've made Jesus your Savior and Lord, and you received the gift of salvation, you had an idea of some value of Jesus Christ. But as time goes on, the value of Jesus Christ grows in your understanding, and it will be fleshed out in your life to the point where when you know who Jesus is, you would say, I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold or riches untold. To say that the value of Christ grows as time grows and you know what he's given you. I remember my grandparents giving me CDs when I was little. CDs used to be worth something. Uh, certificate of deposit. And, and they were more so when I was young. And I, I remember just as a young boy getting a, a certificate of CD, and it looked fancy. I thought, man, so what do I do with this? I said, well, nothing. Well, what's the point? You just keep it. And one day it'll be worth more money, hopefully when you go to college. I couldn't really appreciate that at the time. I thought, well, where's the toy? I mean, this, this isn't even close. You know, this is paper. I, I couldn't get it. But as, as life went on, and I went to college, and I needed more money for the next semester, 
And dad would say, you remember that CD that your granddad or your grandma gave you? It's like, we're going to cash that in, and this is going to bring X amount of dollars. Like, oh, now I get it. This is good. I like that certificate. Well, that's the, the, the effect of Jesus, that in your life, especially for those of us who, who come to know Jesus and the gospel early in our life, that as we grow, we see the value of who he is, and discipleship soon costs us everything. So let's talk about surrender here, and why do we surrender to Christ? Why do we give all? First of all, you have to know the value uh, with our mind. You have to estimate, you have to assess who Jesus is. And as we grow in our understanding, we are better able to assess what the gospel is, what Jesus is, what he does for us. And so as we look at the story, it's implied the man finds it and assesses it. He understands this is of value to the point where he's going to cover up so no one else will know where he is, and then he's going he's to do a certain degree of, of sacrifice for this. But the very first point that we have to understand is know the value of Christ with our mind. So this is to reflect on it. Think about it. It's, it's what we sung, to turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. All that we studied in Colossians about Christ so that we can understand the value of who Jesus Christ is in our life. And this is something that we have to do. If you think about this, we do this all the time. Temptation is very much the idea of contemplating the value of something. We'll see something beautiful. I think about uh, the Achan and, and, and the story of, of Jericho. You remember they were supposed to destroy everything, not leave anything behind. But this one man, Achan, sees a beautiful robe made in Babylon. He sees some, some, some wedge of gold, some bars of silver, and he looks at it, and he sees that it's beautiful, and he starts to lust for it in his own heart. He assesses it in his mind. Think about temptation is that it is the complete void of thinking about Jesus, isn't it? We are filled with whatever is in front of us, and we forget about who Jesus is. Commercials do that all the time. Advertisements do that all the time. It's about promoting something other than Jesus. And so there has to be an intentional uh, step in our part. Contemplate who Jesus is. Why do we want to read the Bible every day? Because there is a contemplating of what Jesus is in our life, who he is. And so I, I reflect on that. I think about who he is all the time. Paul, Paul said it this way. In fact, let's go to Philippians just for a second. I want you just to read what Paul's mind is, is going through as we read in Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 7. Paul was thinking about all the achievements, the things of value in his past that people would say, man, that's important. He starts listing out what people have said. These things are important. Whether zeal, his, his stock, his religion. But verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. He has that word counted he assessed it indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing jesus christ my lord for his sake i've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ some of your translation you might use the word dung you know what dung is right <laughs> all right manure okay 
He says, these things that are good, that our life says are valuable, when I compare them to Jesus Christ, when I do the assessment, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to Jesus Christ. He says, I want to be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Corinthians tells us, 2 Corinthians tells us that part of what it means to receive Christ, in 2 Corinthians 2, to receive Christ, he says, is the same as having your eyes opened up to see who Jesus is. And that the fact is that we are born with the eyes veiled to the value of Jesus Christ until the Holy Spirit comes and opens up that, that veil so we can see Jesus Christ. He says, that's what it means to receive him. To know the greatness of who he is. And listen, as we read the New Testament, most of the New Testament is not going to make sense to you unless you understand that Jesus Christ is worth more than everything in life. When you get that one solid nugget down, that Jesus Christ is worth more than everything in life, you're going to read the New Testament and it's going to come to life for you. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. To help us to see, to know the value uh, with our mind. And so, this is a wrestling that's going to take place. You're going to wrestle with stuff, because there's stuff you value. And it's not of Christ. And so when I present things like Christ is worth more than, and I start filling the blanks of worth more than your job, worth more than your family, worth more than your health, worth more than your home, worth more than your comfort, uh, worth more than your car, worth more than your leisure activities, and I start listing these things out, somewhere along the way, there's going to be a, uh, I don't know about that. There's going to be a struggle that takes place. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is taking us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's transferring us. Remember this in Colossians 1.27, we're, we're being transferred into two different kingdoms. That doesn't happen without a struggle. You ever see anyone being born? That's a struggle. I mean, that is a hair-pulling, blood and guts, veins popping out type of tr- struggle, right? Ladies, yeah? Okay, when you're being transferred from one state to another. And so spiritually, when we're being transferred from uh, this life into a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God, there's going to be a struggle that takes place. There's going to be labor pains of us saying, you know what, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I like that. But the Holy Spirit's going to be working and working. And there's going to be a labor on our part to say, Jesus is worth it all. In fact, what you're going to find is that most of your life is this transference that's taking place. That Jesus is worth, someday worth more than your wife. Someday worth more than your husband. That Jesus is worth someday more than your job. Worth more than your career. Worth more than this X amount of opportunity. Or worth more than this financial opportunity. That Jesus Christ is going to be worth more than your freedom. That Jesus Christ is going to be worth more than your life. All of life from this point on is about teaching you that. Because guess what heaven is? Heaven is a place where everyone says that Jesus is worth it all. How do you get to that point? By the Holy Spirit working in our life, preparing us for that point. If, if we're not ready for that now, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? 
we're all declaring that Jesus Christ is worth it all. And so it is knowing the value with our mind. But let's, there's something that happens here. I want you to notice that this man that finds the, the treasure, notice in verse 44 what he does. He buries it. He doesn't want anyone else to discover it. He doesn't want to lose it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it for him. He knows it with his mind, but before he does anything with his actions, he knows it with his heart. There's joy in his life. For us to surrender, we have to know the value of Christ with our mind, but then we have to know the value of Christ with our heart. And this is where a lot of us get stumbled right here. Most of us have gone to church, and we hear about Christ, we hear He's our Savior, that He's King of kings, Lord of lords, but with our heart, do we get it? And this is where the world is battling for your heart affections, what gets you excited, what brings joy in your life. This is where the battle is for most of us. The world wants us to get excited about anything and everything but Jesus. And I only have so much emotional energy. You know that? I can get excited about sports, but it's stealing excitement from something else. If I get really excited about sports, then I'm going to lose excitement somewhere else. There's only so many things I can be really passionate for. In fact, Jesus said there's only one. There's only one passion that you can have in your life. He says you, can, you cannot serve two masters. You will either serve one and hate the other. He's talking about either God or money. You can't be passionate about money and God at the same time. You have only so much reserve. And so what does your heart go out to? You've got to know the value with your heart. It's funny, we, um, a number of years ago, probably about 17 some years ago, uh, my, my mom and dad moved uh, from the, the house that I grew up in. Uh, the, it was the church parsonage. And, and uh, for the first time, they, they bought a house. They never owned a house before. And so, uh, I don't know how long we lived there, 20-some years. Uh, that's a lot of time to accumulate stuff. And we had the arduous job of throwing stuff away. And that's the, if you've ever had to do that for someone that you love, that, that your, your parent or someone that you've cleaned in their house, man, it is difficult. It is emotional. And we're just going through my room, and we're just, you know, Pulling out stuff. I don't know. I don't want that. No, my wife's not going to let me have that. No, that's, you know. Uh, but then we discovered this little blue plastic cup with a white lid and a little sippy thing, you know. A sippy cup. This was my sippy cup. This is what was given to me anytime I was sick, like even in high school. <laughs> I was like, this had some soft drink ginger ale in there and it had all these chewed marks on it you know from you know you just it just it felt right to chew you know and and I uh, totally worthless and and someone makes a discovery and my mom starts crying I, and then my my sister's who's here she gets to be witness to the story she starts crying I, why, why why are we crying and so my mom my sister's crying I'm like oh you know I'm starting to get all teary-eyed like it's just a plastic cup. It has no value whatsoever except in our heart. Isn't that funny how a heart goes out to worthless things? But they're not worthless, are they? They have heart paths, heart memories. Your heart can go out to 
goodness and not shame. Things that should be thrown away, but our heart's there somehow because it's some memory, something of the past. And, and Jesus said it this way, lay up your treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It's one thing to know with your mind that Jesus Christ is worth it all, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, is your God. But does your heart know it? Does your heart pull at the name of Jesus? Does your heart rejoice at the opportunity to worship Him? Does your heart grieve when we take something from Jesus that belongs to Him? That's the question that, that God's wanting to know, is where is your heart? You see, when your heart is invested in Jesus, surrender is a joyful thing because it gets more of Jesus in your life. Where's your heart at? We know when conviction comes, one of the things that's hard about conviction, the Holy Spirit convicts us, is it sacrifices our pride. God is taking pride from us and we value pride and so we are hurtful. But if we can get in our mind that we can lay down our pride and get Jesus through conviction, then conviction becomes a sweet bitter thing because it's killing our pride but lifting up Jesus we surrender joyfully there's something about this this pearl that this man saw he said this is worth more than everything I ever had before and there's something about this treasure this man sees and he says you know what this is worth more than than everything it I will joyfully sell all that I have if I can get this treasure do you know the value we're going to be talking about surrender. You've been talking about it in your small groups. If you're doing the, the imperative life of Christ study, you're, you're learning about that. You're talking about that. And you, you just need to understand that whatever God asks you to surrender, you don't lose. You get Jesus in return. And when you know the value of that with your mind, then know it with your heart, then something's going to happen. It's going to come out in your life. John Donne was a, was a, um, a, a British poet. From years ago, I came across him when I was studying in, in uh, literature. And he has this, these poems that are just about God and, and done in unusual ways, very romantic language. He, he writes this statement. He says, I don't, he says, uh, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, shall never be free nor ever chase, except you ravish me. What is he saying? He's saying, God, unless I'm ravished with you, I will never be whole again. I will never be changed. Unless I'm enthralled with you, then there will be a void in me that allows me to get enthralled with cheap things in my life. He uses language of, God, unless I know your worth and I am captured by you, then I will be captured by seemingly insignificant things. So it's an interesting phrasing that he, he puts out there to, to help us get this and understand it a little bit. So let me ask you, when you don't have to think about anything, what do you think about? When you've got leisure time, solitude what do you think about that might be your joy how lasting it is how satisfying it 
What are you anxious about? What do you have nightmares about losing? That might be your joy. Take those objects, those fears, the things you think about when you're by yourself, and give them to Jesus to say and ask yourself, God, help me see the beauty of who you are so that when I lose this, and notice, when I lose this, I don't lose because I've seen Christ is worth more. Know the value with your heart. But then it, notice what he does. He has joy in his life, but he does something. Both of these men, they, they sell all that he has and buys that too. The merchant evidently has a collection of pearls, but sells all of these pearls and buys this pearl of great price. He knows it with his mind. He assesses it. He knows it with his heart, but then he knows it with his life. He knows the value of Christ with his life. This is where surrender actually takes place. You see, surrender is a value action. You are stating that you value something more than someone else. Uh, at some point, Emperor Hito was saying, I, <coughs> I value the survival of our people more than military might. Somewhere along the way, he had to make that statement. What we surrender is an expression of what we value. It comes out in our actions, in our priorities. Now, here's the thing about surrender. You're under the authority of, of God. What does that mean? To be under the authority of God means that there will be someday you will think and do something you do not want to think and do. If you have never done anything that you did not want to think or do, then you have never been under the authority of Jesus. You understand that? You see, the Christian faith is not something that we half-heartedly do. There is a temptation to say, well, I believe the Bible is the, uh, has the inspired Word of God. Notice the word, has the inspired Word of God. I, I, I believe that there are, are portions within that that is authoritative. The problem with that is that you're appealing to something outside of the Bible. What is it do, that you appeal to to say, this part of the Bible is not authoritative? In reality, when you say that the Bible has never had authority in life, you have always maintained authority. Because you reign as governing over the Bible. You are either self-governing or God-governing. There's no degrees here. Either all or nothing. When Jesus takes authority in your life, he will ask you to do things and think things and believe things that there will be a part of you that revolts at the idea of it. But there's a struggle that has to happen for God to be the authority. Otherwise, you are the authority and just every once in a while you agree with God. You see the difference? It comes out in your actions. Does the lifestyle demonstrate the surrender? Because when it's all said and done, Jesus is asking not that you know that he's Lord. He's not asking that you feel that he is Lord. He's asking that you bow your knee. He's asking that you live 
the fact that Jesus is Lord. In fact, there's another story where he says, you know, there's a servant who says he will do something, but doesn't do it. And then there's another servant who says that he doesn't do it, but later on changes his mind and does it. And he asks the question, which one is obedient? Well, it's obvious. It's the one who actually does it. And the Sermon on the Mount, he says at the end, he says, you know, all these teachings I give to you, blessed is the one who hears them and does them. You see, the one, there's two people, one who builds his house on sand, and there's one who builds his house on the rock. And those storms come, the waves come, the house on the sand falls down, the one on the rock stays firm. So is he who hears these commands and does them, is the one who builds his house on the rock. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. Is something expensive? Depends, doesn't it? $500. If you're buying a pen, yeah, that's pretty expensive. But what if you're buying a Mercedes Maybach? $500? What if I have $499 to my name? Well, <laughs> I go looking for pennies until I have $500 and I give it all and I think, I got a good deal. I got a good deal. Someone asks you, was that expensive? You have to know. It costs all that I have. But I got more than it was what I paid for. How it is with Jesus. It's going to cost you all that you have. But he is worth more than all that you have. It's a good deal. Let me ask you this. What if we went to the beach together and we went out to the waves and said, guess what? Here's the deal today. You can buy a whale. I see one coming in. Five dollars. Anybody five dollars? Ten dollars? Fifteen? Twenty? Twenty-five? Thirty? Thirty? Hurry! Hurry up! It's coming. All right. Fifty dollars. There's your wave. Enjoy. A few seconds. Go way back out to sea. Oh, wait a second. Where's my wave? Sorry. It's gone. Do you realize that's life? Thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy. Some strength might live to eighty years things that are coming in this life, the opportunities that you have, the job, the money, the clothing, uh, the, the materials, the house, it's a wave. It's coming in. It's coming in. You can enjoy it for a little while, but it's going to go back. And you cannot hold on to that wave. You can't keep it and put it in your pocket. It goes away. But here's the beautiful thing, that in that moment, in that wave's time, you can have opportunity to get something that will last forever and will never go away. But it costs all of that wave. One, I said it this way, Jim Elliott. He who is he is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Surrender is a joyful thing. Does anybody do this today? Think about it. Would you sell all of your precious art if it meant that you could buy a hearer to keep your iPod? What's the point of having precious art if you can't hear it? 
Yeah, we would. Would you sell all that is in your life if you can get life? Or are we going to just try to keep our days busy till the end comes? Yes, Lord God. Yes, people do this today. I want us to look at this video to show us what it might look like today. We can go ahead and cut it off so we don't have the song. What you have here is this man who lives in Rio de Janeiro. And it's a place of violence, of gang activity. But he's there because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And he realized that these people need him. That each one of these people who may be prostitutes, poor, who are just trying to make it on their own, are loved by God. And therefore, to follow God's heart, he's there to minister to them, to help them. And he realizes that at any given moment, one of his greatest fears is to go out and minister and not come back. In discussing this with his wife, he shared this. And he says, you know what? It's a great fear of mine to go out and not come back to my family. But they both agreed that no matter what it costs, it's worth it. And so they stay. They keep working and they keep ministering because their life already was given to God. They are in Rio de Janeiro. You're in Nightdale. You're in Raleigh. But the effect is the same. Is your life hidden with Christ and God? To go out and to extend yourself because your life is given to Jesus. When you give up everything to get Jesus and therefore get everything, then you have not lost anything. Let's pray.